And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer here at Redeemer Broadcasting. I'm Dan Elmendorf. On the phone line with us today is Mark Morano. He is the publisher of the award-winning ClimateDepot.com. And Mark, it's an honor to have you on with us today. Thank you very much, Dan. I'm happy to be here today. Well, um, we've been wanting to uh, talk with you for a little while, and finally here we are. Um, There's a lot of talk over the past, I don't know, 10 or 20 years about climate change, and people, uh, some people at least, tie in carbon dioxide, uh, human-produced carbon dioxide, to the climate change scenario, and so there's a lot to talk about. Um, maybe at a high level, describe your background, Mark, and why you care about this topic. Good question. I'm not a scientist, but I like to joke that I occasionally play one on TV. I've debated <laughs> Bill Nye, the science guy, on both CNN and Fox News. Uh, so I, I take the whole issue from the perspective of an investigative reporter. Uh. And I actually work with a lot of scientists. Well, I worked in the United States Senate Environment and Public Works Committee, and was the author of a 400 dissenting scientist report, then 750, eventually 1,000 plus. And in that capacity, I worked with a lot of different scientists from around the world. And so my first book, Politically Incorrect Guide to Climate Change, which came out, actually we updated 2019, we actually interviewed Nobel Prize winning scientists. I interviewed a former United Nations scientists. And I used the people who people would recognize, you know, in terms of scientists who were on one side and then re- reevaluated the evidence and then it came out skeptical, and I present all the data that, that that shows it. So that's the way I take it as a sort of an investigative reporter. Yeah, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, in your book, you actually delve into uh, the other side and explain their case and review that. And, and so you're not, uh, you're not ignorant of what the claims are, as I understand it. Yeah, and that's what's interesting. If you read an Al Gore book or if you read, you know, some of these like Michael Mann or Catherine Hayhoe, who bills herself as the, you know, the the Christian, uh, she's a, a, a from Texas A&M or used to be, but she's a you know, climate climate scientist who brags that she's you know converting Christians into the belief of climate change. And she's really made this her mission. She's outreached the Christian media. But what you listen when you hear them is you don't hear the arguments against it. Mm-hmm. What they will say to a person, and if you read their books, watch the movies, is it's all settled. Anyone who disagrees is an evil denier on the payroll of big oil. End of story. Nobody's going to discuss it. Let's move on now. <laughs> and the difference is when you have a skeptical approach, not only do we mention their views, but we go in great detail. Here's what they're claiming. We go through the, and I mean, I'm talking in both books. My new book's called Green Fraud on the Green New Deal, which will be out next March 23rd. I go through and I say, okay, what are they saying about Greenland? What are they saying about sea levels? What are they saying about droughts? What are they saying about hurricanes, floods, tornadoes? What are they saying about polar bears? What are they saying about carbon dioxide being the control knob of the planet? And we go into every one of their claims, and then we show you the data, and then we show you the scientists who who do the studies and who, who refute it. So if you actually want a complete picture, you're not getting it from their side. Their side is dismissive, and they appeal to consensus, and they say, debate over, let's move on. And... On the side of dissent and scientific integrity and, and questioning, we actually go through in great detail, painstaking detail, all of their claims and arguments. So in order to get a full picture, you need to read the skeptical side of the climate change debate. Yeah, I think you do. Um, now, um, 
God has something to say about this in very general terms. Way back in the book of Genesis, he says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. And so there's kind of an inherent promise there of the continuance of planet Earth. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, we believe in climate change, and climate has always changed, right? Yes, and this is where it gets so ridiculous and maddening you will have even people like Catherine hayhoe michael mann michael oppenheimer or the you know the, the mainstream media well the climate is changing how can you deny it? climate has always changed in the geologic history of the earth there's never been essentially a stable climate so when people say right, is it warming it's been global warming is real yeah since 1850 we've warmed that was the end of the little ice age uh, the last hundred, you know, 170 years ago. And that's when the New York Harbor froze over the Thames River in England. We had the year without a summer. Uh, I mean, it was really cold. So, yes, we've warmed since then. It's also what's happened is modern instrumentation of thermometers went on in most major U.S. cities. So, yes, we've warmed since thermometer records began in most of the cities. So you got me there. The problem is time scales. And this, Dan, is where they play the, you know, the old statistical chicanery if you go back to the medieval warm period of 900 to 1300 ad the time when they were farming greenland uh you are looking at we're probably the same temperature or we've cooled since the medieval warm period if you go Hmm. back to the time jesus christ walked the earth in the roman warming period about zero ad it's more compelling evidence that we've cooled since then that that was not only as warm but probably warmer and there's all sorts of peer-reviewed studies on that so when someone says is it warming yeah but what's your time scale the last 150 years it's warmed but not since the medieval warm period necessarily and not since the roman warming period and this is where they get you and we've also had tv weathermen who've been co-opted by these soros-funded where they say 1970 is our baseline. We've warmed X amount since 1970. So what they do is they pick probably one of the coldest years and coldest periods of the 20th century when we had the man-made coming ice age scare, the global cooling scare of the 1970s. Well, remember when we had tipping points and they blamed bad weather, floods, hurricanes, droughts on, cool- on cooling time. They also had a greater national security threat. But they pick a cold period so they can then claim, oh, well, look at how much it's warm since then. But had they picked, say, the 1930s, which is still on the record books as having the most heat waves by cities, and even Obama's EPA acknowledged that, it's on their EPA website, you know, then they wouldn't show it. So this is a game people play when they say climate is changing. But, you know, I'll get into the, the causes of carbon uh, dioxide and why they try to demonize it, too, if you like. Yeah, I like that. I just wanted to say that... Um Computer modeling is what it is, and it's um, sometimes it's not accurate unless it's calibrated. You have to say, okay, I'm going to model this, and now the scientific method says, uh, let me look at the real output, equate that back to my model, and see if it matches. So if we were to do that with some of the modern climate models, uh, is there a match? Okay, now that you brought in my, well, and I have a whole chapter on this in my first book, Politically Incorrect. Modeling is so important because it's a great, useful scientific tool, but the way the climate people have done it, they've bastardized modeling, if I can use that word. Uh, what they've done is they now have, they've done two different things. They, have, they basically tune the models. So in other words, if they want to show you 
they actually replaced modeling. They place, replaced data with models. That's one thing they've done. And you'll say Antarctica has, you know, this new study, it goes against everything because Antarctica has been gaining ice, both sea ice and land ice, contributing to sea level lowering. So how do you scare people about Antarctica? Well, when current reality fails to alarm, you come up with some scary climate models. Sure. And you say predictions now of 2050 are much more dire than they were just five years ago. And what they do is they now don't even look at real data. They'll say our models that are derived from you know, past data measurements, you know, we had to fill in the gaps with our model. They show the ice is melting now, and they also show that you know, trends are going to continue and that you know, it's going to be radical melting and sea level rise. But what they've done is they've, with these models, they predict both outcomes. And I actually go through, and there's a, both, and I have a film out called Climate Hustle as well. Climate, Climate Hustle 2 features Kevin Sorbo, the actor, mm-hmm. narrating. We go through and we show they predicted the opposite. So with these models, they predict more snow, less snow, more malaria, less malaria, more wind speed, less wind speed, more lightning strikes, less lightning strikes. And it goes on and on and on, on like almost every major issue. And so what happens is they can, if you predict both teams to win the Super Bowl, you can always claim you're right. So we have so many climate <laughs> models coming out saying, you know what, I'm right. I predicted that. Yeah, but what about all the you know, 90% of the other predictions which failed on that? And you predicted the exact opposite. So it's like they can just select which model prediction they want. And the media, of course, runs with it and goes along. You know, there's a story out um, the Associated Press just did. Global warming is causing wind speed. I can't remember if it was the increase this week they said it, and then they had done one a few years back where global warming is causing wind speed to decrease. Mm-hmm. And there's no, of it. there's no sense of you know maybe we should address the earlier contradiction. It doesn't matter. They're just on to the next issue. So yes. climate models are used as a tool to cover up the lack of alarming climate data to scare people because they can use mostly models are used to scare the bejesus out of people. They want yeah. you afraid and that's how they do it with model based very scary predictions well you know i'm old enough now (laughs) that uh when i was a kid growing up and entering into my teens um particularly when i was a kid uh the prediction was we're going to have a serious ice age and whatever human response was causing that um you know shame on you etc and now it's going in the opposite direction, supposedly, by the same people. Um, but do you remember that? I mean, we were we were supposed to be going through an ice age. Yes, and it's funny you should say that. Yeah, I can do a shameless self-promotion plug here, Dan. My book, which comes out March 23rd, Green Fraud, Where the Green New Deal is Worse, wherever fine books are sold, has an d- entire chapter devoted to the coming ice age scare of the 1970s. And yes. Yes. And what- about it, you had National Academy of Sciences, you had the CIA warning about it. But what's most shocking about it is the same solutions proposed then mirror today's oh, well. climate agenda. And I go through point by point. They want it, they believe that our fossil fuels see, fossil fuels caused global cooling before fossil fuels caused global warming. In the 1970s, they said the aerosols from our fossil fuel use and coal was going to go up and block the sun and cause global dimming, which was then going to plunge the earth into you know cl- frigid temperatures, affect crops, make extreme weather worse, create all sorts of you know national security threats and war. And the solution was gutting capitalism, sovereignty limiting international treaties wealth redistribution and regulations basically on every aspect of our life it is eerie it is creepy and i go through wow. point by 
painstaking detail and show you what they claimed in the 1970s and how it doesn't matter what the scare is. It's always the same solution. And so it brings up the larger point of this whole agenda, I think our whole conversation. It's not about the climate. In the 1960s, the same solutions were proposed for overpopulation. The 1970s, global cooling. They've had it for resource scarcity, for Amazon, rainforest, deforest. Whatever the environmental scare is, it's always about government takeover and control and every aspect of our life. And that's the shocking part. It's never been about the science. Yes. That's fascinating. Um, anyway, uh, let's keep going here. CO2 is um, sometimes it's described as carbon. I think they do that because they want to make it look dirty. But CO2 yeah. is a harmless, wonderful gas. Um, the plants outside my window here, we're, we're in the uh, you know upstate New York. We have thousands, millions, maybe billions of trees. We have a lot of trees. And they, they are, if they could talk, they would say, boy, I really like this carbon dioxide. Can, can we talk a little bit about carbon dioxide? I, I know that it's a greenhouse gas. I understand that. I'm not convinced that it's, it's um, quite the lever as they want to make it out to be. Yeah, and this is where, they, like what you just said about greenhouse gas, this is where they get, this is where they get people to say the science is settled. You hear John Kerry, this is high school physics. Is Here's the bottom line. Yes, increased CO2 can have a warming effect on the atmosphere. The problem with that is it's kind of like a grand hotel lobby. You put in a space heater and turn it on. Will that have a warming effect on that lobby? Yeah, it would. But there's a lot of other questions to ask. Are the doors open? What's the temperature outside? Is there a central, uh, you know, air conditioning on counteracting sure. that one space? So this is the question. And it's just like that with the atmosphere. There are literally, and even the climate activists themselves that their publications admit, there are hundreds of factors that influence our global temperature, so to speak, which is a, you know, a construct of what they've created. It's not really such a thing as a global temperature, but for argument purposes, hundreds of factors influence the climate. Everything from ocean cycles to water vapor, methane, tilt to the Earth's axis, the sun, clouds, and all sorts of feedback mechanisms that they don't even come close to understanding. So what's happened is it's not the simple story you've been told. More CO2 equals a warmer world. If we right. get this level, Earth will realize two degrees, three degrees. We need the UN Paris Agreement. This is what they want you to believe. It's not. If you look at the geologic history of the Earth, and I, I went and interviewed Robert Giegengag, hundreds of peer-reviewed scientific studies, the head of the University of Pennsylvania, Ivy League Science Division. He, he actually is a liberal academic who voted for Al Gore, but he's just appalled when he saw Al Gore's first film, An Inconvenient Truth. But he explained to me, in looking at the ice core data, 90% uh, of the Earth's geologic history, CO2 levels have been much, much um, higher than today. And so what it is, is right now, carbon dioxide is a, in a CO2 famine. And if you look at it, 90% of the Earth's geologic history, the Earth has been much uh, warmer than today. So first of all, you realize that CO2 is not driving the climate. 90% of the Earth's geologic history was too warm to have ice at either pole. And so this is the picture that emerges. And then if you even look at the more recent ice core data from Antarctica, it'll show you that temperature led carbon dioxide and then the oceans would outgas more CO2. So CO2 could not be the control knob of the climate hmm. because if, if temperature 
is leading carbon dioxide. It's not the other way around in the geologic history. And that is where Al Gore, even his producer, Lori David of his film, did a chart where she reversed it and she tried to show that uh, CO2 went up first and then temperature dramatically followed. But it was the exact opposite. And they had to issue a correction. This was a scholastic textbook because they were trying to promote this idea that more CO2 then leads to temperature increases. But in the ice core data, it's actually a temperature increase leads to more CO2. And the reason for that is the CO2 ends up um, outgassing from the ocean. So this is the biggest uh, argument we have um, in terms of the entire climate debate. They claim it's a simple mechanism. More CO2 equals a warmer world, and we have to stop this. And it's just not that simple. And not only that, but even NASA has acknowledged in peer-reviewed studies that in the last 50 years or so, the greening of planet Earth has happened as CO2 uh, has increased since the Industrial Revolution from like 250, 250 parts per million to a little over 400 today. We're about 410, 412 parts per million. More CO2 equals a greener world. More CO2 uh, is good for plants and animals. Humans in- inhale oxygen. We exhale carbon dioxide. Well, it's fascinating, and and I think what you're showing is there's so many factors. Um, I can't. I happened to trip across one um, in my reading earlier today when I was thinking this through, and it has to do with a solar minimum that NASA has predicted for the next two solar cycles between 2021 and 2041, ushering in a period of global cooling like it did during the solar minimum of the 17th century. Have you heard of that? Yes. In fact, you know, many Russian scientists, the Russians, National Academy of Science, they've been predicting global cooling for years based on sunspot activity. Now, one caveat, though, no one really can predict the future and sunspot activity and solar cycles are similar in a way to carbon dioxide. It doesn't mean the sun will end up overriding all these other factors, because if you go into, you know, different feedbacks and land use mm-hmm. issues on the earth, all kinds of things. However, with these solar cycles, there's many scientists predicting global cooling in decades ahead. It's something to watch. It's hard to say because no one can really predict the future. But interestingly enough, uh, in the book, I detail UN scientists upset after attending astrophysicists studying solar cycles at a conference because he said they weren't buying into the CO2 as a control knob hypothesis that the United Nations was pushing. Well, that's huge. Yeah, and what they tried to do, though— The politics of the science of this, they try to defund those scientists, not allow them to be published, marginalize them, keep them out of the debate. We're watching the same thing now with anyone who dissents on COVID lockdowns or mask mandates. Those scientists losing their jobs, getting deplatformed, uninvited to scientific conferences. Same thing happened to climate. So after a while, eventually you say, hey, there's no climate skeptics left. There must be a consensus. Well, there's a reason they're not speaking out as loudly as they should is because they've been silenced. And the people being silenced are anyone who talks about solar cycles and possible global cooling. Yes. And we, we saw some things. I'm going back to the model, if I may, one more time. Uh, early in the COVID, you mentioned COVID, um, they were basing a lot on the Ferguson model out of the UK, and it yes. predicted many, many, many more people dying than actually did. And so we have to be very careful on this modeling stuff. We do. In fact, the Neil Ferguson COVID model is literally a microcosm of the climate debate. Yes. Come up. Very scary scenarios. 
come up with a solution in the case of covid it was uh, it was draconian lockdowns that had never not only never happened but never even been proposed in free societies in the history of pandemic planning i mean there was a couple discussions of it during the ebola uh, uh, outbreak where they talked about locking down regions because you know, in africa but it was never discussed by the who cdc and what happens is then if it's not as bad, they claim their measures worked, which is nonsense. Same thing with climate. If you do, we actually have, and I detail this in the book, people who claim uh, that installing sun, solar panels and windmills and uh, doing you know mandates on green energy, the climate would have been much worse had we not done that. And then we have people like uh, Chuck Schumer, a New York Sen- your New York senator, or, uh, who talks openly about you know hurricanes would be not this bad had we done more on climate. So they come up with extreme scenarios. They come up with solutions that couldn't possibly work, even if we faced the climate crisis or the COVID crisis, they claimed. And then whatever happens, they claim some measure of success. It's the exact same debate. In fact, I have a whole analysis about how climate and COVID is a COVID climate connection in my book, Green Fraud. I have like almost two chapters just on that topic alone. Now, uh, let's uh, talk about where we've got a couple of minutes left. Uh, Direct people to your website and your book that's already out and the book that's coming out. Uh, If people want to learn more, um, where do they look? Well, thank you very much. And yeah, it's well, my website's climatedepot.com, like Home Depot except Climate Depot. <laughs> the first book was a politically incorrect guide to climate change from 2019, the author being Mark Morano. There was one from the you know, like 15 years ago called The Politically Incorrect Guide to Global Warming. That's a different book and it's an old book, but mine is the brand new one. And then I also have Green Fraud, where the Green New Deal is worse than you think, opens March 23rd, released March 23rd. And on the top of that, Climate Hustle 2 with Kevin Sorbo is a good movie from last fall to watch because we make it entertaining. We go through all the wackiness, children's indoctrination, and both books deal with the children indoctrination, the green energy follies, and also some of the scary stuff that they're trying to do, like shrink human beings, openly talking about it, how they're using the overpopulation fears that control humans and family planning. I mean, this is really touches on uh it gets into you know religious aspects morality and family planning and whether the morality of having kids climate activists urging people not to have kids praising china's one policy uh one kid policy uh and and basically praising chinese uh one party rule as a way to accomplish things so you don't have the messiness of democracy yes well, I think we need to be very careful. Just because something is repeated over and over and over again does not make it true. And uh, the major media outlets are all trying to scare us with this, and we shouldn't let them do that. We need to have an objective mind, uh, look at the science. Um, it, it's popular today, isn't it? They say, oh, you really got to look at the science. But in fact, <laughs> I'm not sure they're looking at the science. I was doing some reading myself, and there's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of objections to what they're telling us. In fact, uh, in closing, wasn't there a report of some 400 dissenting scientists? Yes, as of what I did in the United States Senate Environment and Public Works, and we eventually grew it to a thousand plus. And then I, you know, I retired from collecting the names because it, you know, it was a huge database project. But they weren't just. They were a lot of them former UN scientists. And I did if you my first book, Politically Incorrect Guide to Climate Change, I have a whole chapter on 
the UN scientists who examined the evidence and then came out skeptical. And some of them were very prominent. Uh, one of them was a geophysicist named Claude Allegre, who literally, and, and also Ivar Giever, who won the Nobel Prize, they signed on to petitions warning the world of climate dangers and then reversed themselves. There are so many scientists out there and we're finding more, but they don't actually express skepticism until after they retire and become emeritus yes. professors. Their careers will be over. One lady, first woman PhD meteorologist, Joanne Simpson, in the world, worked for NASA. She waited until she was retired in her late 70s and said, now that I'm retired, I can finally say it. I'm a skeptic. Yes. Now, imagine this woman, all the barriers she broke, but the one barrier she refused to break while she was an active scientist at NASA was to declare herself a skeptic. She was uh, waited until after she retired to do that. It's amazing the power and the uh, intimidation factor for anyone who speaks out against the climate narrative. Yeah, yeah, so true. Well, I want to thank you very much. Our guest today is Mark Morano, and he's the publisher of the award-winning ClimateDepot.com. And uh, Mark, thank you so much for spending your time with our listeners today. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much, Dan. I appreciate it. And dear listener, please join us next week for another edition of A Plain Answer.